This podcast from Teacher is supported by Planet Arcs National Tree Day. National Tree Day is Australia's largest community tree planting and nature care event. Visit treeday.planetarc.org to get involved. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine, I'm Jo Earp. In a Teacher's Bookshelf article last month, we shared an exclusive extract from Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a guide for teachers and school leaders, written by Angeline Ow, Sadie Hollins and Stephen Whitehead. In this episode of School Improvement, I'm joined by two of the authors, Angeline and Sadie, who are based in Germany and the UK. We'll be talking about what we mean by total inclusivity and taking a closer look at the continuum on becoming a totally inclusive school. That's a framework to help schools and educators move from the theory to the practice. There are six stages of the continuum and we'll be going through each, thinking about what that might look like in a school and what the next steps could be to move to the next stage. At various points, you might hear us mention DEI or DEIJ, That's diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Angeline and Sadie, thanks for joining us here at uh, Teacher. Now, before we look at what schools and educators can do to improve and some examples as well, uh, why did you want to write this book? Um, yes, I mean, we've, we've both come into it from um, from slightly different angles. Um, I was kind of introduced to Angeline by um, Stephen Whitehead. And at the time, I was writing a lot around well-being. Uh, and I was also kind of on my own journey about uh, inclusion in terms of LGBTQ because of my own identity. I thought I was kind of coming into this project for to build pre-SHE resources, but um, it actually turned into something like a lot, lot cooler. So, um, yeah, and that that's because of that, Angeline. Yeah, and I was very grateful too to be um, introduced to Sadie and the two of us, our skill sets complemented each other well. And our main goal with the book is really to support educators with a really challenging mission, which is to improve how we can be more inclusive. And I think in the past, being inclusive has been interpreted as supporting learners who have um, learner variability um, and uh, who have you know learning difficulties or supporting physical, intellectual and um, social and emotional needs. Whereas, um, and and I started teaching in the national um, in the state system in New South Wales in Australia, where I. Um, you know, I believe I was a, a targeted graduate student who was put into a full-time job in a Sydney, in a school in Sydney, but I was the only teacher of colour there. And uh, and so, and what? Meanwhile, my classroom was full of what we know as you know multicultural Australia. And then, as my career moved into international schools, um, the mix of um, nationalities and students was, of course, you know, also very much amplified. But being surrounded by difference doesn't necessarily mean that we're equipped with bridging the gaps between differences and knowing really how to deal with them. And so, this book is really attempting to bring together foundational understandings and helping educators with starting points 
to help inspire perhaps action from wherever you are on your journey, whether you're just beginning this or whether you have been thinking about um, being more inclusive for quite a long time um, and and uh, you know with Sadie's kind of more academic theoretical expertise and um, and us delving into uh, trying to bridge this gap really between theory and the research out there and practice and so really practical things that you can do to help you move this um, very important piece of becoming totally inclusive into practice. Mm -hmm. So I want to start off with a definition then. So in the book, you write total inclusivity means recognising, valuing, protecting and nurturing diverse identities, including those of race, gender, sexual orientation, class, disability, age, religion and language. If you recognise the inherent worthiness of that intention, if it speaks to both your heart and your head, then you're on your way to being an advocate for total inclusivity and have taken a step towards becoming a totally inclusive school. So I just want to go back over those keywords again, recognising, valuing, protecting and nurturing. I think that um, for me, the recognition part is something I came to understand, you know, when, when I came into becoming an adult. Um, you know, I, I'm a, a migrant. My background is as a Chinese Australian, and uh, my family migrated to Sydney when I was nine years old. And at that time, you know, I we we hear in Australia things like um, tolerance. Um, the the campaign to be more tolerant was really prominent at that time, and my family and I assimilated into the culture there. And and it wasn't until I looked back. In, in my schooling experience, did I realize that who I am wasn't really recognized very well in the education system? And so that well, that just that initial stage of recognition, I feel like, is a way of us really opening our eyes to what is society like in, in practice, um, because schools are a reflection of society. And, and, and society hasn't always um, been treating every individual equally, and neither do schools. And if we believe in diversity, we need to truly support it. And that goes into the valuing part. We need to value all the identities that are coming and entering our school doors and school gates. Um, because inclusion work is safeguarding work, um, and that goes into that protecting word, right? So we need to be able to protect all of the identities walk, that walk into the door because every learner deserves to be nurtured and hence nurturing. Um, and uh, because every learner deserves to be nurtured in a safe, supportive environment where they can thrive. Mm -hmm. And we know that a safe and supportive environment is exactly that where they do the best, you know, they do the best, they achieve the best you know, in terms of well-being, not just academic achievement, but well-being as well. Um, in that quote that I read out, you mentioned advocates. And for those educators who are, who are listening, thinking that's not for me or that's not for us because, hey, it doesn't affect us. Um, you give this reminder in the book as well. We all know that it's easier to advocate for change when something directly affects us. But we also know that for change to be meaningful and long lasting, it needs to involve everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Like, um, I think like Angeline's touched upon um, work around diversity, equity, inclusion and justice is um, safeguarding work. And uh, we talk about it in the book in the safeguarding chapter, you know, like child protection policies 
uh, have been well established, um, but they tend to focus on certain types of um, abuse or neglect. And what we fail to, or I think what we've historically failed to do is protect from identity-based harm. So that, I mean, that, that falls under child protection and that, that involves every single person in the school. You know, if you've only got a couple of people in, um, responsible for child protection and, and it's no one else's responsibility, then those students aren't safe. And I think that's exactly the same for, for work around DUIJ as well. And to add a little bit onto what Sadie is saying, um, to be an advocate, some of you may not feel like um, that might be you. Um, and I think that's because a lot of us, you know, we want to keep the peace. We want to go along to get along. And that really is the why assimilation works, um, because everyone's trying to assimilate to, to um, keep the peace and to be happy and and just um, get on with things. Because, you know, yeah, because essentially all students just, they just want to learn and uh, teachers, we just want to teach, right? But um, that doesn't mean that discrimination doesn't exist, um, and it does. And um, whether it be ranging from microaggressions that we hear or um, really like um, outward, um, inappropriate uh, racist comments or um, and and so I think that uh, if you are one of these people who think that that doesn't apply to me maybe then <laughs> please read our book and, and and you know examine also your own privilege because if you've gone through your whole um, career not thinking about this then you're likely to have been in a very privileged position and you benefit from the way the current system is set up and and as I mentioned before, schools are a reflection of society and society is not a place where all people have had equitable access due to structural inequalities, which which some of which we list in that definition, um, thinking about class, disability, age, religion, etc. And so um, depending on on what you've come into, you know, you've not always um, specifically been welcomed. like my first ever job in Sydney there was a teacher who actually said out loud in the staff room well if you you've come to australia then we're a christian society then you know you need to um you know you know value that why is it that we should have valued that above others and other things mind you this was in the early 2000s i started teaching in 2000 um, but then again that was only 23 years ago and and um, and so we still have a long way to go and I think that um, that whilst we've made a lot of progress, um, both in Australia and elsewhere, I think that we still have a lot of progress to make. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at, uh, we've talked a little bit about the, the definition and some of the background to the why, if you like, but uh, a reminder that you know this is just a podcast we're going to be sort of scratching the surface really um so i'd encourage people to have a good look at the book because there's so much information in there in the early chapters about all of this and more um but well, let's move on to have a look at these uh, six stages then you've created a framework to help schools move from the theory of you know the why and the theory of what, what they're doing to the practice it's called the continuum on becoming a totally inclusive school it's there to help individuals and institutions identify where they are to, to be able to pinpoint where they are on six stages of development so we're going to go through um each of the six stages might be a bit of a whistle stop tour um but uh, we will talk about what what so that might look like in terms of practice that the first stage then is discriminatory you call that an, um, an inequitable sorry institution what might this look like then and uh, what might the next steps be in terms of moving out of this lowest stage 
just to, to kind of preface this, I, I very much, um, you know, the, the continuum was um, a creation of, of Angeline's and, and so I, you know, I have to give full credit because when I looked at the continuum, when we were writing the book, um, that was really powerful for me. So, um, I, you know, I think it, it will be really of help to others. Um, in saying these kind of descriptions of the different stages, I think it's also, um, like we mentioned in the book, it's important to recognise that your school might not look like any one thing. You might be at several stages um, at once, but I think it kind of giving that overview is quite helpful what it could look like or what sort of things you might tend to see. Um, so at stage one is the uh, discriminatory or the um, inequitable stage. And that's very much where um, identities are excluded that don't fit into the norm of that particular school. Um, so that might not be co um, overtly done, but it could be like much more covertly done. So whether that's you're seeing the hiring of staff with certain passports, or um, only hiring staff that are native speakers, even if it's not, uh, you know, putting job efforts, you're seeing that um, that trend uh, done in the school. Um, it very much uh, is a school that dismisses divergent thinking and, and uh, polices tone around conversations around diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, and there is often retribution for staff members that speak out at this point. And I think something that you see in international schools and, and Having not come from an Australian context, I, I can't speak to that, but um, you know, they are really transient places. So you're looking at one, two, three year contracts and often you know, staff members that are speaking up in discriminatory um, institutions, that contract renewal is a point where they might, might not get their contract you know, um, uh, renewed for, for speaking up. Um, I think at this stage, there's often difficulty admitting there's a problem um, and that there's no real plans for um, the school to address anything around DEIJ. So the, the second stage then is exclusive. That's what you've termed a tokenistic institution. So, you know, there might be some efforts made there, but it's but it's token efforts at this stage. Uh, again, what kind of things are we talking about? And is there anything that schools should be looking at to, to get themselves out of that? Yeah, sure. So um, in the, the tokenistic stage, um, there are often like um, maybe model minorities um, welcome. So you'll see appointment of certain staff of uh, diverse identities, but they may often assimilate into the culture. And, and I, I preface that by saying that sounds kind of intentional, but often um, when we assimilate, that's often out of self-protection because we're worrying what would happen if we don't assimilate. Um, I think that's part part of the piece to to recognise. Um, could see a bit of an old uh, an old boys club at school. Um, so I think that you know I, I think I've had conversations with um, teachers and I, and I've seen myself in in schools like this. Um, local students particularly will hear staff members um, implying negative connotations about that that home culture. So. Um, whether that's criticising the way things are done uh, and saying like this would never happen, you know, in X country or whatever it is, um, it's very much often um, privileging a Western culture and kind of uh, devaluing the, the, the native and home culture um, in comparison to that. Um, and at the stage, I think there could be token efforts. So maybe you've got staff members that are um, 
you know, given some space to do work around DEIJ, but that's often quite micromanaged. Um, and there's very much maybe an agenda put out about what, what DEIJ work can be done and what can't be done. Um, so in terms of uh, next steps at, at that stage, so, so for, to speak to stage one, you might be looking at some sort of implicit bias training. So kind of getting some of the foundational concepts um, and shared understanding within the community and looking at the policies. But stage two, you're looking to update those policies and maybe getting help from outside to help you move forward. So whether that's um, working with a consultant in the area. Um, and, and I think, um, and, and Jean's mentioned this, but like in the book, but to move beyond, um, I thought this is really, really powerful, like flags, food, fashion and festivals. So that those kind of tokenistic effort, um, you know, like to say that you have one day or one festival to celebrate cultures out in your schools every day. You know, that's that is um, you know, tokenistic in, in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. the, the third stage then, so on from that exclusive stage, that's called symbolic change. Um, so starting to make starting to make a something of an impact but but that stage you've termed a, a contradictory institution uh so i guess that the title says it all but can you give some <laughs> examples of what may be happening and again how how can schools look to take some next steps out of that yeah you yeah, know absolutely um so like you mentioned Joe, like there are some intentional efforts so maybe that the school is actively seeking to hire people of color um but you know in that stage whilst there's those efforts perhaps that's not sustained um, at this stage, you're really looking uh, to move beyond like these kind of one-off efforts, these tokenistic efforts, to and to really start making a sustainable change. Um, so, you know, why it's contradictory is maybe there's there's time given to PD around DEIJ, but there's no expectation or follow-up that that's going to be enacted within the school. So it's it's touched upon, but it's not moved forward. And, you know, like schools at the stage, maybe they are doing the right thing. I mean, even that's like kind of problematic itself in terms of doing the right thing, but that, that they are going along with regulatory changes that they you know need to include um, updates to policies and things like that. But, you know, like that's one thing that actually doing that work and actually enacting that change in school is, is um, a very different thing in terms of um, some next steps, like maybe like for schools to prioritise funding around diversity, equity, inclusion. So it's not um, one-off workshops or it's not a consultant that just comes in on a one-off basis, but you're really working um, over the, that long term. You see this as well in international schools. There's a you know high turnover of, of um, head teachers and you think to, to really make a change. I mean, this, you know, discriminatory uh, practices has been happening since we've known schools, right? And to have that, like, you can't change that in a year. So you need to be planning, you know, three, five years in advance and what that change will look like when those teachers, when those um, leaders move on, you know, like um, that has to um, be sustained. Um, at this stage, you know, engaging board members, it goes beyond the school. It's, it's everyone in that community and especially those that have quite um, a lot of influence within the school. Um, and I think it's, it's to increase kind of accountability measures and to measure what you're doing in the in the schools like like i've said if there's no follow-up from um some of the work being done like how do you know it's making a difference and how do you know where you need to go you're listening to an episode of school improvement from teacher we'll be back with sadie and angeline to discuss the next three stages of the continuum after this quick message from our sponsor hey everyone it's adam goods here one of the national tree day ambassadors 
National Tree Day is important for country because those incredible native trees bring back our beautiful wildlife to our communities. It's an opportunity for us to learn from each other, to plant new natives into our community and understand the importance of planting trees. Join Planet Ark and Toyota this National Tree Day, Sunday 30th of July. Find out more at treeday.planetark.org. So, so we're, there are six, six stages on this continuum. We're up to stage three, moving into the better half. Uh, the fourth stage then is embracing. That's an embracing institution. So we're starting to see some real acceptance and some action, which as you were saying, Sadie, often, you know, you're saying you're having meetings about, but nothing's actually done. Uh, so what might be happening in stage four then at maybe an educator level, maybe a leadership level, maybe a school structure level? And, and again, how do schools move out of this into stage five? Yeah, thanks, Joe, for um, also mentioning that this is like, you know, sort of the better half of the continuum. I think that, um, I mean, all stages of the continuum really do have um, it have its have its good points in a way, because and even at the very end where if you're in the exclusive stage, it, if, if that's the type of school you are and that's your school's mission and vision, then you need to recognize that. But there's still things you can do within that stage. And so within every stage, um, one can take next steps and, and make progress. But this fourth stage is really when you've I feel like it's when you've passed the tipping point of commitment. And because the first three stages, um, this kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that Paula Abdul song, you know, where, where you're going to take a few steps forward and you take a few steps back. Um, as you mentioned, there's a bit of that equity warrior kind of one person who's, you know, championing this. But at the fourth stage where it's really embracing, you have, the, you know, the majority of your school um, community are all on board. And to get to that stage, is it's, it's already very significant because like, like the names Suggests, suggests everyone has embraced this concept. And, and then we're really able to make significant strides, I feel, because, um, you know, school leaders are supporting this. There's a budget for this. Uh, it's getting time on your um, uh, meeting schedule, whereas it's not like sort of just thought as as the, the last thing to be put on. Um, it's, it's, and people are seeing this more as not just another add on, um, but something that is like a lot of people will say, well, I can't just I can't do, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. I've got so many other things, which we, which is true. Schools are very busy places, uh, but it's recognition that um, this work isn't something being added onto the plate, but it's the plate itself. It's going to be the foundational thing that's going to hold and and enhance everything else that you do. And so at this really embracing stage, people are looking for differentiated professional learning because there's going to be many people at different points of understanding with many different topics. Um, we need to kind of ensure that uh, safeguarding measures not don't don't just apply to the learners um, that our students, but also to the adult learners in the building. Because I think that sometimes at this stage, people are becoming more vocal about what's not working and so we also need to be protected as educators to know that um, what whatever it is we're dissenting about we're not then we're not going to have retaliation come onto us so i feel like at this stage when we're really embracing it we're embracing conflict also because we're embracing the way in which um, we are challenging each other to do things um, 
better systemically for our students, which means we're going to change the things that have been we've been doing and that have been existing for quite a long time already in our schools. And, be, and, it, and in order to make changes, it's going to push us out of our comfort zone at this stage um, because we're going to be, have to be forced to change some routines. Or, or rethink how we do certain things. Like if I'm assessing students the way I've always assessed students and that has you know, favored a certain um, student or a way of learning, and this is actually gonna be harder work to do because I'm going to have to really differentiate how I do that with, with different considerations for maybe if I've had a newly arrived um, student who doesn't speak a lot of English, what kind of um, infrastructure am I going to have to put into my classroom or the different way in which I'm assessing, which a lot of people will say, oh, it's that's much harder work. And it is at this embracing stage because it's a recognition that we need to continuously learn together as a community and engage in that professional inquiry to really seek understanding and together with students and with our colleagues to co-construct um, practices that are going to be more equitable. Mm -hmm. I love that uh, image there of, you know, it's not something extra on the plate, it's the plate itself. I really love that. And yeah, you often hear that, don't you? It's just another bolt on, but it's embedding it, isn't it? It's making it part of the foundations. Uh, and and just outside our comfort zone, that's where all the best things happen, I reckon. So um, this sounds like an exciting stage. We're on to stage five then. We're gonna we're getting up to two highest levels here. Uh, this one's called structural change. Um, you've you've labelled this a transforming institution. So there may still be discrimination at this level, and I'm guessing that's the case with all the levels. Um, so, but what might be happening at, at this in terms of an educator? a point of view and a structural point of view and then you know it's it's stage five but where do you go to from here what could the next steps be me i feel like this stage is where um we're looking not just at, at changing mindsets and behaviors um anymore that, that that's already there um and and so and because it's all of the humans in the building who are making the decisions about what goes into our structures and the policies and practices and the, how we enact them. And even if you're in working in an institution where kind of policies are handed down to you by by um, you know a department or or say like a an organisation that's um, in charge of a group of schools, but even within those, it's how we enact them that is that is going to uphold any institution. And so in a structural change um, stage, uh, I feel like schools are making bold moves here and, and really um, trying to strive to develop and implement policies, procedures and practices that will result in resources being accessible to all the learners. And this may mean that not everyone gets the same thing because we're all not the same. <laughs> Right, and so if we truly value diversity, we're thinking about um, distributing resources equitably and not equally, right? And so that requires um, a, a different way of thinking, um, and and a way to transform what we do. Because I feel like a lot of the times, um, back backlash or or you know uh, barriers that we have towards really transforming as an institution is a lot of us um, hanging on to this. Oh, is that fair or is that not fair? Um, well, you know, <laughs> sorry to break it to you, but society isn't really fair for everyone to begin with. And so it, for things to actually be, be fair, we actually need to offer different things in our school to different groups of people in our school. 
So, um, and so this transforming institution thing we is where I feel like you know really actionable steps is to critically examine um, through through collection of data um, and to think about how um, what is your constitution in your school what what does your demographics tell you what is the actual need here um, and uh, and to identify that um, and then and then to co construct together with the community um, how you might be addressing that in your institution. And I think that kind of cycle of critical examination and then co-construction is where the answer lies, which is also where our book is not going to tell you, like it's not a recipe, there's no silver bullet here because every school community is different and the answers to this lies in your school community. And so here, it, that's why we call it the structural change is really a transforming institution. So you need to look at um, how can we critically transform and um, and opportunities led by internal advocates in your school so that so that whatever um, transformation is being made, it's going to be sustained. Mm -hmm. So back to that sustainability again, rather than just a few champions. Stage six, then we've reached the top of the continuum. Uh, this one, unsurprisingly, you've called totally inclusive. This is an equitable and just institution. So this is the, the goal, really. What does that uh, look like in practice? And I was thinking it's, it's important to mention that it's not all sort of rose, roses. There are still challenges there and, and, you know, there will be things that happen, but I guess it's being able to identify those and overcome them in the right way then. Absolutely. I think that um, one important aspect of this stage is that that sustainability that you mentioned and thinking about how can we maintain it because that's really hard right um, but hopefully then um, you have collective capacity at your school at this point where you hold yourself to account to keep learning and to keep thinking about how we can um, you know evolve as a, as a just and equitable institution and also to hold each other to account Right, so it's something where um, accountability um, is is um, that a part of the norm and not seen as as a scary thing. Because I think sometimes when we mention the word accountability, people think of um, you know being reprimanded for something, but it's not that. I, I feel like accountability has gotten a bad <laughs> reputation, but in actual fact, it's more thinking about oh, you know, I made a mistake there. And, and, you know, I work in this field, but I make mistakes all the time, but I need to be able to, um, you know, take responsibility for that and think about what will, how can I grow and also take responsibility for a possible harm in which I may have caused. And so at this stage, in order to maintain things that we have to have a culture of, of, of accountability and a culture of doing and a culture of thinking about what next steps um and 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 if like and it's not a utopia at this stage so because if harmony actually exists at this stage then we actually need to question that because because uh because then maybe we've fallen back into a, a place where people are just trying to go along and get along again and and we're not actually um um you know embracing um our diverse opinions um viewpoints that's going to help push us forward. And so I think that um, at this stage, the challenge is really to sustain the practices and um, thinking about the mechanisms that are, are working um, for us and um, and to uphold a culture that um, that values um, 
like diversity, equity, inclusion, and and social justice at all levels um, of governance, leadership, all the way down to um, valuing student voice um, in in our classrooms um, and learner agency. I think that um, having voice choice and ownership is is something that uh, will be very prevalent at this stage because everyone will feel like they have a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And now we've taken a very quick. Uh, tour through those six stages there. There's, there's of course much, much more information in the book. Uh, that's the continuum on becoming a totally inclusive school within the book. Uh, some good examples there of, of what practice and structures may look like and what schools can do to improve at each stage. And I'm thinking, I'm going back to, you know, the comment earlier, maybe there's some listeners there saying, this is not us, this is not for us. Maybe now they're starting to go, oh, right, okay, okay. So for schools who do want to improve, I guess the first step is start to do some kind of self-assessment of where they are or what, what would you suggest? Well, the continuum itself is is a, is a self-assessment. Um, it, and it's uh, it's one that will be based on your current perceptions, and uh, and you can enter um, the the continuum in two ways. One is to just just use the continuum, have a dialogue around it. Um, educators who have read the book and and often are saying, um, that's the first thing that they will go to. They'll say, okay, as soon as I read it, I wanted to share the continuum with my colleague or with my leadership team because the continuum's the divided into the behaviors and mindsets that exist or don't exist at, at certain stages, and also the systems and structures that may or may not be in place at certain stages. And so when you're looking at that, it makes you think about, oh, hang on, I thought my school was doing pretty well, or hang on, I thought my school was doing really badly, but then you're able to place where your school may be in, in terms of growth. And even that act itself helps you kind of identify, oh, what, what might be missing, but I'm not too sure. And then that question then, or that curiosity that hopefully it sparks will determine what do I really want to find out more data about? And that's that other assessment piece to think about, okay, well, maybe I need to either um, host a listening circle around this because I'm not too sure, or maybe I need to develop a survey or to use a survey that's already out there um, that has been externally validated to help me identify aspects that I'm not seeing. And other people have approached the continuum because they already have a, a culture survey or a survey that they use with the school, and it has brought up certain um, uh, aspects that they already have identified that they want to improve on, but they're not quite sure how to start or, or what to do. And then, and then they go to the continuum after they have that information, and that information helps them place where they are, feel they are on the continuum itself. And so I feel like um, the continuum is, is merely a starting point or a, a midpoint and, uh, and hopefully something you'll revisit because it's a continuum of growth. So if you only use it once, um, you know, then you're identifying one point, but hopefully you'll revisit it to see, okay, have I actually moved to the next stage? Because a continuum is something that you need to revisit as an assessment tool in order for it to be effective. So um, yeah, so sorry, a big long answer to your one question about assessment, <laughs> but uh, hopefully that's been helpful. No, you've, you've kind of answered the, um, part of my next question, which was about where to start. But but I think the better question you're actually thinking about is, um, you know, we've, we've had, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, being outside our comfort zone and challenging things and being advocates and being willing to stand up. What about those people who are listening? They know they're the only person there who's kind of wanting to be an advocate for this, or maybe they think they are, I'll, I'll 
that's probably the best way to put it. They think they're kind of the only person who wants to be an advocate for this. Where, what could they be doing? Firstly, to make themselves feel a little bit better, I guess. But, um, you know, is there any kind of action that can be taken? Is it about trying to get more like-minded people who also want to advocate or what would you suggest? You know, I've, t I've spoken to, to teachers in that situation where you feel like you might be the only one. Um, and I think... Um, I'm not looking kind of institution-wise, I think um, Angie will, will um, definitely be able to, to speak more to that, but I think um, there are groups out there um, online, like uh, affinity groups or, or spaces where you can come together. Um, that is a source of support for, um, for educators doing this work. And I think you, it's helpful to maybe meet other teachers that are similarly experience the same thing um, and I think that's helpful to see I, I, I think one like on that personal journey how they are managing and navigating um, that and what they've done and I think um, to speak to that you know like we as educators like we can control within a certain degree what happens in our classroom so we can still have an impact in the students that we work with day in day out so just because we're not, um, you know, the school isn't at that point where we're able to move um, forward, you're still having a huge impact on the students. But I think those groups are good for that personal level of support because, um, it, you know, you do come up against resistance. It is difficult work. And I think that we need to have those conversations as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and also in chapter 10 of the book, we write a little bit about um, change management because this work is is social change work. You know, we're, we're asking um, educators and this whole school community really to, you know, examine how um, how your kind of culture of your school, so this like microcosm of society that we all have um, that is unique. You know, each school has a unique culture, but it's also embedded within the, the larger um, society it's 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 in, right? So, and so when we're thinking about um, change, um, one of the aspects of our total inclusivity change components model um, talks about how something if something is missing and I think you know if you're missing commitment um, so you know you might be the only one who's committed in, in your school but rest of your 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 colleagues you might feel is is missing commitment then what you end up having is competition to this work right so because there are many competing priorities and then this is often because quite often people will like it's hard to argue that like oh, I don't want to keep kids safe, you know, like, <laughs> really? Like, you know, we all love to believe that we're good people, right? But there's a lot of competing priorities in the school. And so with, if you have an absence of that commitment and that individual buy-in from, from all of your community members, then you need to think about, okay, are we actually um, living out our school's mission? Because every school has a mission and vision where we want all our learners to thrive, you know, like well, that's what it boils down to. And so I think that, um, you know, kind of going back to those basics of what does our school stand for um, and what do we actually mean by this and really like challenging that at every point. And I know that it, it can be hard if you don't have power or positionality in your institution. So if you are, if you kind of think, oh, I'm just a mere teacher, you know, like I teach, like when I first started, I was like, I just teach grade six, you know, I don't want to like, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat here. Um, but, but like, but you know that somewhere along the line, your values are being compromised here 
because you want to enact something different in your in the space and power with the power and position that you have. And so you're going to feel frustration because you don't have the resources to move forward. And then and then that's another aspect of, of this um, change model. Like so if you have if we have frustration, then we might need different resources to help us move forward. But or, or if we have this engagement, then how can we elevate learner agency um, amongst our, us as adults, as learners within that? And so um, there's going to be a lot of feelings that come out with this work. Uh, and and, and um, educators have found that our um, change components model has helped us think about the reasons for why this feel we feel this way and then offer a path forward for that. So if I'm feeling frustrated, it may be because I'm missing some resources. Or if I'm feeling um, disengagement, it might be because I, I need to elevate learner agency. Or if I'm feeling like anxiety about things, it might be because I don't might not have the skills yet or the or the mindsets to help me move this work forward yet, right? And so we need to think about then um, what the reasons are because the reasons should not be excuses for not moving this work forward and that's a big difference between reasons and excuses um, and so if we know the reasons then we can um, take that journey and first step in addressing them mm -hmm. that's brilliant i love that as well the, the difference between reasons and excuses that one's going to stay with me as well so thank you thank you for that that's been fantastic speaking to you both today there's some really useful information i've really enjoyed the conversation there's lots of examples there and and there were, there were there's tons more information like i say um in the book uh, the, the book itself is called becoming a totally inclusive school a guide for teachers and school leaders written by angeline our sadie hollins and stephen whitehead um, angeline and sadie thanks again for sharing your expertise with teacher that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. In the meantime, please subscribe to our podcast channel and leave us a rating and a review. It's a big help to our team and helps listeners like you find us more easily. So thanks. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by Planet Arc's National Tree Day. Head to treeday.planetarc.org for a range of event ideas, activities and lesson plans designed for Australian schools.